Now, back to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt, sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Here's Jeff Hunt. Friends, welcome back to the Frontier Freedom Radio Hour. My name is Jeff Hunt. I'm the chief wagon boss of this operation. We're talking with John Malcolm today, the vice president of the Institute for Constitutional Government and director of the Mies Center, as well as the Ed and Sherry Gilbertson Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. He is all things originalist when it comes to the Constitution. And we've had a great conversation today. So if you missed it, go back to FrontierFreedomRadio.com. We've talked about the original intent of the Constitution as well as some upcoming cases that are going to be heard at the U.S. Supreme Court. Very important case on immigration, U.S. v. Texas. John, tell us what that's all about. Yeah, so last term, uh, the Supreme Court on the last day of the term ruled in favor of the Biden administration, which wanted to do away with the remain in Mexico policy that President Trump had put in place. Uh, and this case, the U.S. versus Texas case, is uh, another challenge to another policy. So in September 2021, uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas uh, put out a an, an, an memorandum outlining the administration's priorities. And what he essentially said was, look, we have 11, uh, 11 million illegal aliens in this country. In fact, the number is probably far higher. Uh, and that there's they're all eligible for deportation, that the government doesn't have the resources uh, to handle that. Personal opinion is because they're not devoting the resources to handle that. Uh, and so they are going to put a priority list of people to apprehend and deport uh, specifically suspected terrorists, people who commit serious crimes, and people who are caught at the border. This has been challenged by uh, two states in particular, Texas and Louisiana, although a number of states are supporting them, to say essentially, one, this violates the Immigration and Nationality Act. So, you know, a, a policy, uh, the, the executive branch officials are supposed to faithfully execute the law. And here, uh, Secretary Mayorkas and the Biden administration is ignoring the law. Uh, and also that this policy was just sort of thrown out there uh, in violation of the Administrative Procedures Act because it wasn't adequate time for the public to receive notice and provide comments, uh, and that in acting in this hasty manner, uh, the administration has also ignored certain factors, including the additional expenses that states will suffer uh, when they promulgated this policy. So we'll see what the Supreme Court does with this policy. John, you've done a great job with this article, giving people insight into these upcoming U.S. Supreme Court cases. How can they get access to the work that you're doing at the Mies Center? Well, they can certainly go to uh, heritage.org and they can plug in my name uh, or look up the Mies Center. They can see all of the scholars who are there and various articles that we put out, although I'm not uh, a major Twitter user. I do tend to post my articles on Twitter, so they can go follow me if they want it, at Malcolm underscore John, uh, or they can just Google me and find a lot of stuff that I've done, including uh, interviews like this one. You also wrote an article titled, Ken Star, Rest in Peace. I want to just read a quick paragraph out of this. You write, in an email after his passing, Star's 
devoted wife, Alice, called her husband a, quote, brilliant, kind, and loving man who, despite what his critics said, did not have a mean bone in his body, and he never responded in kind to hurtful libel or slander, end quote. You say, I can attest to all of that based on my interactions with Star over the years. Uh, what was your personal relationship like with Ken Starr? Well, I, first of all, we have, I, I know a million people who knew him extremely well, judges who served with him on the D.C. circuit, people who worked with him in the independent counsel's office, uh, the, the librarian at Pepperdine Law School, who basically served as his assistant, and they they all praised the man. So I, I, I first met Ken Starr, actually, uh, when I was an assistant U.S. attorney in Atlanta, and he came down to give a speech at, uh, that I had invited him. And so I introduced him at that speech. And then I saw him again when I was a political appointee in the criminal division at the Department of Justice uh, during the administration of George W. Bush. And, and after that, I ran into him several times, although he met a million people. He always uh, remembered me. And then when I left the Department of Justice, uh, I moved out to Los Angeles for a period of years. I was the anti-piracy director for the Motion Picture Association. And he and his wife, Alice, lived nearby. So I actually would bump into them quite regularly at uh, restaurants. We both liked the opera and theater. I would see him there. Uh, he invited me to speak a few times uh, at, uh, at Pepperdine. And then he hired me to be a distinguished practitioner in residence uh, at Pepperdine Law School and then promptly left to go to Baylor. Uh, and then since I have been back in Washington about 10 years, for the last 10 years, I would see him uh, often at various events. Sometimes we would be doing interviews together. I hosted him for a program here at Heritage. I would see him and occasionally sit next to him and his lovely wife, Alice, uh, at dinner, I I always enjoyed my time with him. Very bright, humble man. He would be the last person to leave. He would always be thanking all the wait staff, uh, all the people who had served us during whatever uh, the event was. Uh, just uh, you never heard him say a bad word about anybody, and he had certainly suffered a lot of uh, of verbal attacks from uh, from people. And if there was ever a man who might have cause to be bitter uh, about the fact that he'd had this vaunted reputation, which people tried to trash, uh, it would be Ken, but uh, he didn't. He was just a, a kind man and, and, and you know, people making fun of him because he was religious and liked to sing hymns. I mean, he, he suffered all kinds of outrageous attacks, uh, but he remained uh, a gentleman uh, and a scholar uh, and a friend throughout. Losing Ken Starr is a real loss to the conservative originalist judicial movement in this country. And we wish Alice and the whole Starr family the best, and we keep them in our prayers. Uh, John, for those that are interested in becoming lawyers, following the route that you have taken, what is your advice to a young conservative that wants to get into the battle for the original intent of the Constitution? They should get to know lawyers and different varieties of lawyers to see 
what they like about what they do and what they don't like about what they do. And they should follow a path that brings them joy and meaning to their lives. Because if you're going to be a lawyer, that's three years of law school. Law has been referred to as a jealous mistress. It takes an awful lot of time. But if it is meaningful to you, particularly if you can do some public good according to your own lights, then you will have a very meaningful and enjoyable life. We've been talking today with John Malcolm, the vice president for the Institute for Constitutional Government, director of the Mies Center, and the Ed and Sherry Gilbertson Senior Legal Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. John, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you for coming to Colorado Christian University just uh, last week to celebrate the 235th anniversary of our constitution and uh, john just did a wonderful job i encourage all my listeners to continue to follow him and the work of the heritage foundation in fact the heritage foundation is going to be going to be partnering with us on october 14th as we dive into all the drug problems that the state of colorado is facing those details will be up on our website soon so be sure to check in with centennial.ccu Edu. Also, before that, September 30th, we will be hosting a candidate forum on the campus of Colorado Christian University for Congressional District 7. This is a really important district. It's the district of which Colorado Christian University resides. So we want our students, faculty, and staff to be able to interact with the candidates. And as a reminder, we are a nonpartisan 501c3 organization. So we don't endorse candidates or support campaigns or political parties or anything like that. But we have invited Eric Adland, and he has confirmed, as well as Senator Brittany Pedersen. And she will not be there in person, but we're hoping she'll send a video or a surrogate to discuss issues relevant to this district, uh, Congressional District 7. It is going to be an important race for who controls the House of Representatives. So in many ways, it is a national race. So both those candidates, we are hoping, will have a presence with us. Eric has confirmed. And Brittany will either be sending a video or hopefully a surrogate as she's not able to be with us in person. But great opportunity for you to meet candidates. So that'll be September 30th, 9 a.m. on the campus of Colorado Christian University. You can go to our website for more information. Friends, Colorado Christian University is a university on a mission with a strategic priority to impact our culture in support of the original intent of the Constitution. For your children, grandchildren, or even yourself, we have 100 degree options for adult learners. If you're looking for that next chapter and you want to be educated and surrounded by people committed to Jesus Christ and the conservative worldview, check out ccu.edu. Be a part of what we are doing there. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Frontier Freedom Radio Hour. We'll look forward to being with you next week. God bless you all and yeehaw.